When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Final hour is here on this Friday edition. Now kick 360 from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, Chad Withrow to my left, Paul Kaharski on my right. I'm Jonathan Hutton, David Reed, the chairman of the board. Glad you're with us across the network and pleased to introduce Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com. And for the first time in the history of Outkick 360, Hubs joins us and there's not an NCAA investigation. Well, that's... On campus. That, that deserves a round of applause. Hubber, hope you're doing well. <laughs> I am. I am doing well. And, and you're right. For the first time in, it, in uh, 12 months um, <laughs> and a million dollars later, Tennessee is through chasing people around the country looking for interviews and, and, and people to try to talk to about this investigation. It's not over from an NCAA standpoint. But finally, Tennessee has said, we rest. You know, we're, we're, we're done with discovery. We're not looking for anything else, which is obviously uh, big news for Tennessee fans, big news for Josh Heupel, the football program. Brent, how surprised would you be if the NCAA came back with a bowl ban, uh, given that they rode shotgun the entire time throughout this investigation? It feels like this self-imposed penalty was done with the NCAA knowing what Tennessee was doing. I, I think the NCAA is, knows where Tennessee stood and where their belief was in, in regards to a bowl ban. Um, it's the NCAA, though. So I, I think we have to be <laughs> cautious in saying we know what they're thinking, what they're not thinking. Um, you know, was the Oklahoma State ruling, was that more because uh, they appealed a ruling for a postseason ban and said, hey, we're, we're not going to accept that. And by the way, we're going to play in the tournament last year as a four seed because we think we got a good basketball team. And that angered the NCAA to the point that they've now come back and given them a ban for this year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what makes the NCAA tick or what makes them go. And I don't know what I don't know what protocol and what this thing's going to look like with the NCAA in six months or a year from now in terms of what the enforcement committee looks like and what's going to be priorities for them and the focal point. You have a lot of discussion out there, and I know this is not the question you asked, but just to kind of dive a little deeper into it, there's a ton of discussion out there uh, among athletic directors, presidents, and other people about postseason bans and whether that should be something that even is on the table for teams going through NCAA investigations because in so many cases it punishes um, innocent kids and, and the NCAA likes to say they're about student athletes. So we'll see where some of that legislation moves forward. I think the one thing that's different here than the Oklahoma state deal is exactly what you said, Chad. And that is the fact that the NCAA was, was in tow with Tennessee over the course of the last 11 months. Brent, generally speaking, timing is everything. Why, why was the timing right for the, for Tennessee to to decide this now to self-impose or not self-impose something in November as opposed to a month ago or two months ago, why is now the right time? 
Well, I, I don't know if it was so much that, you know, Tennessee said now that, that this is what they're going to do. I, I think Tennessee's had this stuff in the works for a while. I just think it was finally discovered by some of us in the media, you know, and, okay. and you, you start looking for, I mean, if, if you look at Tennessee's statement yesterday that the opening line in that statement was this is a response to media reports out there translation this is our response to volquest report they, they didn't they didn't offer up a statement to everybody and say hey by the way we're making a public announcement if you were doing that you stand at a podium and have a press conference and go about it so i i think this had been decided earlier on it's just we finally figured it out. And I think part of the reason why, to be honest with you, uh, one of the reasons that kind of pointed us at VolQuest in that direction is um, that the, the third party uh, law firm that the Michael Glazer group went to a quarterly billing cycle instead of a monthly billing cycle. Right. I mean, we, we, we had discussions back in the summer and, and people were talking, Hey, it's nearing a close. And then you get the bill for the previous month. And it was $120,000. It's like, it ain't coming to an end if they're still billing that. So when you go to get the, the September bill and the response you get is, well, there is no September bill. Cause now they're only billing, uh, they're billing in a quarterly cycle. Well, that's a red flag that something stopped, right? That, that they're keeping them on retainer, but they're not putting in the hours that they had been putting in over the previous, you know, nine or 10 months. So I think that was kind of a tipping point for, for us to dig a little harder into where this thing is and where it's not. We've talked about it on the show. I, I don't think Tennessee was ever going to do a bowl ban. I just don't think they were going to do that to this group of kids, right? I mean, if you if you don't announce that in, in August or September, are you really going to pull the rug out from kids in, in November and say, hey, by the way, great job. You're working hard. Good job. Way to buy into the culture. But there's no postseason for you guys. We've decided that in November. You can't do that. And so I, I don't think the news of the day necessarily was the the bowl ban news or lack of bowl ban news. The bigger news for me is it's finally over from a discovery standpoint in this investigation. We know the most t tangible thing about this in terms of of players is potential players with the way it's been mentioned to recruits by by competition. Is there any tangible way it touched current players and this current team? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, uh, because it, it's a removal of part of the cloud, right? I mean, like it 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 moves you forward. And the cloud, that's the cloud. I'm asking more though, Brent. What what was what was the consequence of the cloud for these guys? The the potential loss of the bowl, I guess. Yeah, potential loss of a bowl. You know what what was gonna happen? You know what was gonna happen to them? Were they gonna get to play in a bowl game? Not gonna get to play in a bowl game. Um, you know, something that was kind of just kind of hanging there a, a little bit. I, did it, did it bother the team every day? No, I, I don't think it did. Not, not like with recruits as you're suggesting, Paul, but you know, it was just the, the cloud was hanging there. Right. I mean, it was just something that was, that was there. The, the past wasn't completely gone. This is another step into saying last year is flushed. And, and I think that's probably the only real tangible thing for the team. Tangibly now with recruiting moving forward, Brent, how much does this eliminate the ability of other coaches to negative recruit against Tennessee? And when you look at this current class for next year, is it time to sort of not give up, but just come to the understanding that it's going to be rough for Tennessee in this cycle and to really put all the eggs in that next basket of juniors in the state of Tennessee right now? How do you think 
Tennessee fan should view recruiting now that this cloud has been lifted? Well, let's, let's start with the first part of that. I think the biggest thing for, for Josh Heupel is now he's got something he can back up, right? I mean, in, in, in twofold. One, kids were hearing that Tennessee was going to get a multiple-year bowl band, and, and, and obviously they can come back and say, no, that's not the case, okay? That's not a situation where you're looking at two or three years. Here's the other thing that was out there in recruiting that was given more to parents, I think, than it was to kids, and that was – Man, that thing at Tennessee is really bad. I mean, they, they are they are they are 10, 11 months into that and they are still investigating that program. Like you think you know everything that, that's out there, you think you know, then the coaches at Tennessee say, hey, it's gonna be okay. How can they say that if they're still interviewing people and they're still digging on more things? So I think the closure of the investigation helps as well, not just the bowl, the lack of bowl ban. Uh, as for the 22 class. I mean, the clock's ticking, right? The, the clock is running out on on decision time. Most of the 22s, many of the 22s are off the board, but you don't stop recruiting there for a couple of reasons. One, not everybody's off the board that you're interested in. Talking about Walter Nolan, talking about Caden Pope, potentially some other guys out there that Tennessee's still um, looking around in. And two, we're getting ready to roll into the silly season, okay? I mean, it, it, you know, guys' names, you got job openings at LSU, Okay, so the Tolan kid in South Florida, he's got some interest in Tennessee uh, because he liked Tennessee. Demario Tolan did, and he doesn't know what's going to happen at LSU. Okay, what what's what's next there? Well, what other guy surfaces for a job? You know that that you're involved with it in recruiting, and, and so I think you keep swinging on some things there. But I don't think there's any doubt if you go look at what Tennessee did last week in recruiting when they were on the road. They saw a lot of 23. They went by schools where a lot of 23 prospects were and even some 24 prospects. Um, so I, I think that you're, you're certainly trying to manage both, but you got to have that eye moving forward to 23. And if some 22 things develop for you over the next couple of weeks, you know, that's good. But, but most of those guys are already off the board. I know that this, you know, tangibly is not true for this Tennessee recruiting class, Brent, but from a perception standpoint, I feel like if Tennessee lands Walter Nolan, it will be viewed as a big success. The entire class. It really rides on one guy because he is the top guy or one of the top guys in the country. He's in Tennessee's backyard. They seemingly have a shot with him. What are the chances right now with Walter Nolan? And do you agree that from a perception standpoint and a player standpoint, it would be huge for Josh Heupel in year one to land him? Well, I, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that it would be a, a, a nice you know, PR move and, and would and would look really good in recruiting if if Tennessee could land him. Feels like they're 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 chasing, you know, that that they're in an uphill battle. He's been to AM twice. He's supposed to go to AM again this weekend for a third time in I guess five weeks because he was there for uh, the official visit, the Alabama week. And then he's been this will be the second time since then going back to AM. Uh so that you know from a perception standpoint, that certainly looks like AM is in front. Uh, he's supposed to be in Knoxville at, at, at Tennessee's game next week uh, against Georgia. We'll see if that happens, and then we'll see if Tennessee gets him on campus for an or for an official visit in December. Um, that may be a little more challenging because his team's in the playoffs. There's the all-star game there. They're trying to work out all of those dates. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that would be a huge feather in Tennessee's cap if they could land Walter Nolan. It, it feels like right now, um, from a perception standpoint, it looks like they're chasing Texas A&M pretty good. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com, our guest here on Outkick 360. Coming up, Vols and Cats and the full matchup 
how Tennessee goes on the road uh, and beats the Wildcats uh, as a current favorite, despite being unranked against a ranked team that's hosting Tennessee this week. That's all straight ahead with Brent Hubbs on Outkick 360. Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com with us on Outkick 360. Tennessee and Kentucky, the Vols, Brent, they start as the underdog. Now they're the road favorite against the Wildcats. And I know the picks are in at VolQuest, and everyone falls in line with what we're thinking here. The, the Tennessee has a great chance That's of going on the road and six winning. Six-point swing in Vegas. Opened as minus five Kentucky right now. Minus one, and it's going to keep going up. So you were listening uh, I may to be somebody, minus three Tennessee by the time the game kicks off. You were now. listening to somebody talk about the spread. When a spread moves like that, it means they just missed on well, the opening spread. I, I'm going to ask Brent about this because uh, I was listening to Clay Travis and Todd Furman on their OutKick uh, 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 podcast about uh, sports betting. And Todd made the argument that it's Chris Rodriguez that has swung the line. That as the week has gone on, it looks like he's going to be a non-factor in this game. And obviously Kentucky re- relies on the run. Brent, you, you've seen Tennessee banged up the last few weeks. What do you think about the health of both of these teams coming into this game and how that plays a factor? Well, I, there's clearly been something amiss with, with Rodriguez when you look at the fumbles, and, and there's been a lot of speculation this week or some growing speculation that he's dealing with a wrist injury. Now, uh, Mark Stoops has not gotten you know specific about any injury stuff. You know, His answer has kind of been the Josh Heupel and standard college football coach response. You know, We'll wait and see. You know, they could have a guy who's got all kinds of severed body parts and every coach is like, well, he's a, he's a game time decision, you know, and yeah. uh, that's kind of the way coaches are out there. Uh, but but this is a pretty banged up Kentucky team, it looks like. And Tennessee is healthy um, or healthier. I won't say they're 100 percent, but they're going to line up with their offensive line with the five guys they felt like were their five best coming out of preseason heading into the regular season for only the third time this year. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Tyon Evans is healthier. So coming off a of bye, Tennessee should be a much healthier football team. And Kentucky appears to be banged up. It, it is an interesting line. Um, and, and I think, you know, initially Kentucky, you know, you get what, three points for a home as a yep. home team, generally two and a half, something like that. Uh, so, so that was like, all right, I'm thinking that's a pick em game when the line first comes out. If it's on a neutral field and then Kentucky gets three points for, for the home game. Uh, but it clearly ha- has swung in a, in a different direction. And I think everybody's trying to figure out what Kentucky is based on what happened to them last week against Mississippi State. Um, you know, State threw it all over them and, and did kind of whatever they wanted to do offensively. Um, you know, and Kentucky just seemed to miss, even though they got out to a 10 nothing lead. I, I think a lot of people around the country are having a hard time grasping sort of what's the deal with Kentucky right now. I, I, I kind of feel that way. You know, I mean, what's the deal with Kentucky? Um, and I think Kentucky will play better, much better this week than they did last week because they are at home. Um, but I, you know, Tennessee's healthier and Tennessee seems to be moving more in a, in a better direction than what Kentucky has moved in the last couple of weeks. Another thing that makes me feel good about the Vols, Kentucky's defense was really tired late in that game last week. And the Vols are running at a much higher speed than Mississippi state. Um, I'm surprised to see any team tired unless it's like very strange circumstances. Uh, how, how do you think they're going to handle the pace of three plays a minute? Well, it, you know, a story that probably didn't get talked about a ton was, was Mark Stoops like redid kind of their 
how they handled road games last last week because he felt like something was off. So they they redid some things leading up to the game, like when you leave and kind of what you do on Fridays and some different stuff like that. And, and obviously that didn't appear to to, to pay off very well. Um, to, to your point, Kentucky wants to play slow. Okay, that um, they want to slow things down. I think opponents are averaging about 65 snaps against Kentucky. Kentucky only averages 61. We know Tennessee wants to go fast and is averaging over 70. The key to that, Paul, is two things. One, can Tennessee make first downs on offense and stay on the field? Can can they get going? Two weeks ago against Alabama, they had five third and shorts, and they only converted one of those. So that forces a punt when you're in third and one or third and two and you don't convert. Tennessee's got to convert third and shorts, but they've also got to make that first first down of that drive and really get into tempo. And then the other thing is, can Tennessee get off the field defensively? Tennessee has given up a ton of third and longs the last two weeks. They have had the opponent um, in third and long situations, Ole Miss and Alabama, uh, 20-something times. They've given up 18 conversions in third and seven-plus the last two weeks. So for tempo to work, Tennessee's got to win third down defense, and offensively, they got to make that first first down and get going. If they do, then I think Kentucky's defense could have a tough night. And, Brent, I think a big part of that third down offense for Tennessee, and really the offense in, in general, is the ability for Hendon Hooker to run and, and pick up some third and shorts on, on the read option or design quarterback runs. How is his health in terms of his ability to run? Alex Golish said they intentionally did not call run plays for him in Tuscaloosa because of his leg, do you think that's going to be a lot better in Lexington? Yeah, I do. I think it'll be better. And I, and I think, you know, this is no, uh, nobody plays this way, but this is obviously a more winnable game than what you thought the Alabama game was going to be going into that game. Now, Tennessee obviously put themselves in a position, you know, in that Alabama game to be much more competitive than a lot of people thought they would be. But, but I think the plan this week would be, yes, more Hendon Hooker because he is healthier. Um, you know, it, it was important for him to to get rest last week, and, and he did, and, and I think he feels good. Um, Kentucky's not played a ton of mobile quarterbacks this year. Um, Emory Jones is the most mobile guy that they played. Uh, he had a little over 60 yards rushing against Kentucky in that uh, Florida loss, but that's really the only guy who's got some real legs that that, that is a factor there. So um, I think Tennessee probably looks at some of the stuff Florida did and said, hey, you know what, we can probably run Hendon Hooker some. And I, I expect them to call some more design things for him on Saturday night than certainly what they did against Alabama when it was clear they were trying to protect him. Brent, on passing downs for, for Kentucky, it's Wondell Robinson or bust. There's a big drop-off after Robinson. Uh, so I, I'm thinking defending him is tough but doable can Tennessee defend the middle of the field, which continues to be a problem? That's, this is going back a couple of years as well. And I know you've, you've harped on this in years past with us. Can they defend the middle of the field? Is Kentucky capable of taking it? And is Tennessee capable of taking away Robinson in this matchup? Well, I think you have to. I mean, you, you got to, you've got to try to get Will Levis to, to throw the ball elsewhere, right? And, and try to trust somebody else. And if that means you bracket, you roll a little safety help over that way or whatever you need to do. I think that's the, you know, you take away kind of their best players if you can. Uh, power five quarterbacks, I know I'm rattling off a bunch of stats, but power five quarterbacks are completing over 70% of their throws in the middle of the field against Tennessee. Tennessee's got to be better. Linebacker drops have to be better when they drop eight. Uh, they've got to get home when they blitz. Uh, and then the other thing they have to do too is they've got to have some contain. They cannot let 
um, let, let us sl- slip out the back door like Kenny Pickett did a couple of times and extend drives. He's not there. They'll run it some with him because Tennessee has not shown they can stop a running quarterback. They won't run it as much as, you know, Matt Corral did and some things like that, but he will scramble around. Tennessee's got to make sure that they squeeze that pocket and, and don't let him out the back door. But I, I'm doing everything I can to, to make him look elsewhere in the passing game than, than to go to his security blanket. Brent, it surprised me to see that you look at Kentucky and you think, well, they've been pretty fortunate this year in some games, especially Florida. Really, in the Chattanooga game, they, they were fortunate at times. Mm-hmm. They're dead last in the SEC, though, in turnover margin. You'd think that was maybe flip-flop with some of their good fortune. Minus 12 turnovers. Does that present some opportunities for Tennessee to really turn this game? Well, you know, what's strange about them is they turned it over early in the year, um, averaging about three times a, three times a game. Then they played back-to-back games um, where they didn't turn the football over. Um, I guess that was maybe LSU and Georgia. I, I don't know the schedule there. But prior to the Mississippi State game, they had back-to-back games where they did not have a turnover. And then they turned it over four times against Mississippi State, a fumble and, and three interceptions. They are certainly prone to turning the football over. Tennessee has been a, a bit more op- opportunistic than they were, obviously, at the start of the year where they started the season minus five in the turnover margin. It's been a push the last two weeks for Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I think there's some opportunities there. I mean, if if you think Rodriguez has got a bit of a, a hand issue or arm issue, aren't you punching and, and going after that ball at every chance you can get in a pile? Um, I, I think Tennessee is certainly going to see if they can do that, rally to the ball. This, this team uh, has been a pretty good gang tackling team, and, and I think your lesson this week is, hey, see if you can rip that thing out of there and, and see if you can create some turnovers that way. And then you hope the quarterback makes a couple of mistakes. And he obviously made three big ones last week. Brent Hubs of AllQuest.com with us here on Outkick 360. Who benefited the most from the bye week? You, you say that the, the the roster is healthier. Who who got the healthiest of the of the guys who needed it? Well, I think I think you look at three ankle sprains, and, and those were the guys who probably benefited from it. I mean, look, Theo Jackson needed the rest because he's played a ton of snaps. Matthew Butler, some of those guys. But, you know, I, I think that for Cade Mays, it was huge. I'm not sure he could have played a week ago or how effective he would have been. Uh, Cooper Mays getting another week on that ankle and Tyon Evans getting another week on his ankle of rest, I, I think was important. Um, Mays and uh, Cooper Mays and Tyon Evans banged them, got banged up a little bit in that Alabama game, not significant. But I, I think those three guys, for me, are the three guys that benefited the most because they were dealing with kind of a specific injury, right? I mean, the other guys were just kind of beat and battered. Those three guys were rehabbing, rehabbing a specific injury, three ankle sprains. The Vols have been a pleasant surprise so far this season um, based on what we expected. And going and, and piggybacking off of something Chad said earlier this week, Brent, and I'll, I'll have you jump in on this, the biggest surprise and why that's so pleasant is on defense because we were not expecting this Tennessee defense to be what it is right now compared to what they were putting up on offense. I remember, Chad, you were there for the first game, and you said we were there in the spring, and then we got there for the first game before kickoff. You said they're going to need 65 points a week to to keep up with what we're expecting on defense. And meanwhile, Brent, here's Tim Banks doing a heck of a job coaching uh, for, for all the discussion about the Vols' offense. It's the Vols' defense that has a lot of people optimistic as they enter November. 
Well, I mean, because they were the biggest unknown as you headed into the season. I mean, it was a situation where one, you, you didn't, you didn't think Tennessee was very talented on defense. And two, nobody had any idea what Tim Banks defense looked like. What was yeah. it? What were they trying to do? I mean, Listen, we could all pull up some Central Florida tape and some old Missouri tape. You know, okay, here's what Josh Heupel does, right? There, there are breakdowns all over YouTube about Josh Heupel's offense. I mean, you you Google or YouTube Tim Banks, and I'm not even sure there was a video on Tim Banks on YouTube when he was hired at Tennessee. So you didn't know what you were getting there. Um, it's been a very aggressive attacking style. Um, they're, they're obviously playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage when you talk about 70 tackles for loss this year. They've given up some plays. Uh, but but they've made some plays as well. And, you know, if they could have gotten off the field on defense on third down the last two weeks, we would even ha- be having a different discussion about this group. I mean, the only real bugaboo that, that's plagued this team to this point is the quarterback runs, particularly on third down. And they've given up just way too many yards there. They, they've got to figure out an answer to that. But, yes, there's no question this defense has exceeded everyone's expectations because I'm with you. I was expecting a lot of 55-52 games. That's how Tennessee was going to try to win. Could they get just magically that one stop that you needed in the second half? And that's not been the case. I mean, that they have been uh, a solid, solid defense that's given themselves, a, you know, given this team a chance, even though I think they're pretty short-staffed, if you will, when you look at what they're working with. With that in mind, how many points do you think – Tennessee needs to win this game? You know, given where Kentucky's at offensively, it doesn't feel like you need, you know, as many, you know, I, I mean, if this yeah, is a, a game, I mean, if, if Tennessee gets to 31 points, is that enough to win it? I mean, it's 30, the magic number. I mean, I, it's hard for me to look at Kentucky and say, Kentucky's going to score 30 points because offensively they've had those struggles. Now here's the one thing about Tennessee. You can't look at this this schedule this year, look at any game and say, boy, Tennessee's laid an egg. They've had a bad game. Hooker's had a bad game. He's had maybe a bad moment, right? Throw a pick here. I mean, the, the pick against Pittsburgh was a bad pick. Um, they had a clear miscommunication, which was a bad interception. But you haven't had a moment where you say, man, they're really off. He's really had a bad game. Or defensively, they've just been really, really bad uh, from a tackling standpoint. So if Tennessee doesn't have that proverbial, quote, bad game, you feel like 30 points is probably enough. I mean, given where Kentucky's been at the last few weeks. I am bummed about uh, Kentucky coming into this game off the loss. Not not for any particular reason other than uh, what this game could have been. Yeah, I'd like it to be a better match. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and Brent, I want to throw this to you. I, I talked about this earlier in the show, but big game for Tennessee and Kentucky from this perspective. If Kentucky wants to have this all-time great season that they thought they were having earlier in the year, they can't lose to Josh Heupel in year one at home in Tennessee, well, the, one of their most hated rivals. And on the flip side, Tennessee can still have a good year losing to Kentucky and beating South Alabama and Vandy, but it's not a really good to great year unless they go to Lexington and beat a top-20 team. Do, do you buy that argument? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge game, a big game for both teams. Um, th- there's no doubt about that. I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, there there were going to be a number of toss-up games that Tennessee was going to be involved in. Could they win those toss-up games? Ole Miss, you know, ended up – I mean, that's a toss-up type game at home. Tennessee couldn't finish it off. Pittsburgh, toss-up type game. Missouri was a toss-up type game going in. Now, we've learned Missouri's not very good, right? 
but but those were kind of the toss-up games. Could Tennessee win those? Those were the the swing votes, if you will, on the season. This is one of those swing vote type games for Tennessee. This this dictates hey, they they played somebody that maybe is a little more talented or a little more seasoned than them or equal to them. It's a toss-up type game, and Tennessee went and won that game. And, and so from that standpoint, I think it's a big game for Tennessee. As for Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, there's disappointment right now because when they beat Florida, you know, they, they thought they were on their way. You know, you beat LSU and it's like, okay, going to lose to Georgia, but you got a chance to be an 11-win team, you know, on the outskirts of people talking about, you know, where they are in the playoff rankings, those debates, blah, 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 blah. And then they went and just flat out laid an egg against Mississippi State. They played poorly. Now, a lot of Kentucky people will say they, they do that once a year. I mean, that's kind of been who they are. Um you know, they have a game that's a head scratcher every year. Was that their only head scratcher game? We'll find out. I mean, this is a, again, a hard team to figure because we know Florida's not as good. Okay. And you look at that, Florida turned it over or had a bunch of penalties and all those things that, that helped Kentucky win that game. Um, then Kentucky struggles at South Carolina. They struggle at home against Chattanooga, but then they, they manhandle LSU in terms of just cramming it down their throat. So they're a little bit hard to figure out. And offensively, they have not progressed the way the Kentucky fan base was hoping that they would when they saw that team roll out with four wide receivers in the opening game. Brent Hubs of AllQuest.com. You can uh, read all the pregame coverage available right now. Uh, and, of course, uh, throughout the weekend, great coverage of this game between Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, the NCAA investigation with the story yesterday from VolQuest and much more. Uh, check it out at VolQuest.com. Brent, have a great broadcast tomorrow with the Vol Network, and uh, we'll catch up next week. Bundle up out there, right? right? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got uh, body warmers, hand warmers, feet warmers, heaters, battery-powered <laughs> shirts. I got it all, Paul. Lexington, we can. Lexington in November, it's never been warm, yeah. Brent. I'll, this I'll game's in, never been a warm one. I'll be in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, Paul, tough life for you, right, in Los Angeles. No, it's never warm. And, of course, you know, it's been a night game the last few years. So you look at the forecast, it's going to be sunny and 57 about one o'clock, which will be a great time to play a football game. Instead, it's going to be 33 and <laughs> cold and there'll be a window open in our booth, um, I'm sure. So we'll uh, we'll be bundled up and uh, we'll look like um, I'll look like John Candy from Planes, Trains and Automobiles <laughs> sitting up there trying to spot. That's what I'll do. But Good luck. hey, we'll do our best and uh, it should be fun. Hey, see you soon. Thanks, Brent, Brent Hubs right, thanks, guys. has been it. our guest. Uh, always great chatting with him. Paul mentioned Los Angeles. Titans, Rams, Sunday night football. Let's dive right into it with our in-depth preview of this matchup. And it starts with the run game because this is a Todd Downing offense and, and, and uh, an offense setting this up where Downing said this week their identity remains the same with or without Derrick Henry. Now, that does not mean Adrian Peterson is getting 25 carries on Sunday night, but they have to be able to rely on their run game to then effectively run their offense. Think about trailing by seven, trailing by 11 in the second half and what the Titans are able to do. They still stick with the run. Leading by 13, you turn around, you're able to sustain drives, run clock, stick with the run. The pass game comes off the run even on the first play of games on play action. Paul, can they can they actually do this going into this week, or is this the part of the building process of, okay, the identity remains the same, 
But structurally, we've got to figure out how we make what we have fit our identity. Well, I, I think that's, these are unanswered questions that's the, that we don't know and that I don't think they yeah, know that's right. yet. Here, here's another piece of the run game. Ryan Tannehill on the bootlegs has been really good lately. Down at the goal line, he gets some easy touchdowns where you fake to Henry. Everybody's like, oh, well, Derrick Henry scores touchdowns down here on a regular basis. We sell out to stop him. Tannehill walks in relatively easily and does his layup, right? Yeah, his signature signature move. Well, somebody on the end now is going to be committed to not letting Tannehill do that. Yeah. So there's another element of your run That's game that point. probably goes away, right? I credit Blake Bettingfield, the former scout who writes at my site for uh, for pointing that out. But there are a whole nother list of nuanced things that get adjusted that are like B-level things that we haven't gotten to yet that are of influence here. And the Rams, while they have a weak offensive line, that defensive front is is loaded, mm-hmm. you know? So that extra guy in the box element, unless Peterson and Foreman and McNichols are really doing something fantastic and the offensive line is playing extraordinarily well, they're going to go smaller and have an extra guy in coverage. And then if Jalen Ramsey's covering A.J. Brown one-on-one, as we would suspect, then Julio Jones, if he's back and, and playing, is definitely drawing a man and a half or two men. And like we've talked about, who's your third option? What, what the Titans need in this game is an emergent third option who, frankly, is schemed up by Todd Downing. Who do they choose to be that third option and Why? That's the thing I'm most curious about in this specific game. And I don't know that that'll tell us anything about what they plan to be the week after against New Orleans or down the road. It's a game-by-game thing now, conceivably. Interesting matchup that I can't wait to just kick back and watch. A.J. Brown against Ramsey. Because in this matchup in years past, when when Jalen Ramsey was a part of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Derrick Henry... Gave him the shotgun to the chest, right? The stiff arm. Derrick Henry owned Jalen Ramsey, quite frankly. A.J. Brown can play that physical, tone-setting style at wide receiver that not a lot of people bring. Now, it's not the same. This is not no, absolutely not. Twenty-two miles per hour. Jalen Ramsey has performed very well in matchups against DK Metcalf, big physical receiver. He's been able to shut him down. A.J. Brown prides himself on not being someone that can just be shut down. I cannot wait for this war because it will be that. There will be a mentality of A.J. Brown like, okay, there's a lot of people that say that I'm done because Derrick Henry's done. And I, I have a feeling that the two alphas collide on Sunday night and it will be a 50-50 battle. I, I, if, if nothing else, we get the, we get the entertainment value uh, and I hope one of these two guys is mic'd up for NFL films. Some people are acting like I wrote that A.J. Brown's done with Derrick Henry. I don't think he's done. I just think things are different. Oh, yeah. Right? And yeah, he's absolutely. Uh, how he reacts to things being different. He draws a lot of attention as it is. He's going to draw more now, and he's got to raise his game uh, against that attention. But if you're game planning as Los Angeles this week, and you sit down like most teams do and say, who can't beat us? Your list was very clear this week. In the past, you've said, well, Henry, number one, and you know, then in the passing game, obviously, A.J. Brown. This week, conversation started with A.J. Brown. 
And he's not been in many games where the conversation started with A.J. Brown and, and didn't include the backfield first. Well, they have, uh, they've got a rookie corner in Rochelle on the opposite side. I'm trying to think what they would do against Julio Jones. But again, it's easier to defend yeah, both Rochelle of those guys. Rochelle and safety. Right. Um, now, when, when we come back, uh, there's a ton of talk about the Titans offense. I want to flip it and discuss this Titans defense. Because that's really where the challenge is. I've got a number. That's, that's a where the stunner. challenge is. I got a number that's a stunner here um, against this Rams offense. We we will dive into that as our preview of Sunday Night Football continues. Titans and Rams on Outkick three sixty. Oh, wrapping up spirited a break final. <laughs> Final show uh, here on this week. Spirited Going break. into the weekend. The final, final show. Final, final show. Uh, I'll kick the tailgate tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern. As we get you ready for all the college football, we will be in Tuscaloosa at NS Free T-Town. Uh, if you come by, if you're listening in Florence, Muscle Shoals, Huntsville, in that area, if you're going to the game for Alabama, LSU, drop by NS Free tomorrow morning I'll buy you starting at 8. Chad's going to buy you Chad's a drink. Chad's buying drinks for everyone. Uh, Open first bar. person gets a come, meal. If even. you come and say, this, you, you, you listen to us and you in can, that area of our uh, radio affiliation, I'll buy you a drink. And you can register to win not one but two items signed by Nick Saban. We've got an Alabama helmet and an Alabama jersey. What are and, the items? Innisfree will be open at 8 a.m. There's not one item but two items. Two items. Uh, there's going to be a helmet autographed by Nick Saban and a jersey autographed by Nick Saban. Innisfree opening 8 a.m. tomorrow for us. Be there from 8 to 11. As Hutton says, we will be passing the the, the college-age stragglers coming out of the bar as we enter at about 6.30 or 7 in the morning. Freshly it's going to be fun, seriously. Freshly come, come signed, hang out. too, I should say, Paul. This is not Fresh. something we found not online. He signed, he signed these items this week. This is not Michigan State Nick Saban signing an Alabama right, jersey right, just right. because an Alabama fan like Nick Saban. This is, this is 2021 Nick Saban signing these items. It's impressive. Impressive Sunday acquisition. Night, uh, Titans and Rams getting you set for that kickoff right now. Paul, interesting matchup as the the Titans secondary tries to contain Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Matthew Stafford's Look, arm. It's about the wide receivers in this game. The Titans have gotten away with the cornerback stuff, and credit to them. Mm -hmm. Rushing four has been effective. They've had numbers in coverage, and no matter who the names are, uh, Mabin, Borders, right jackson. jackson they've gotten it done the challenge goes up this week the rams receivers have 2025 receiving yards this season the most in the nfl that's 140 more than the bucks it's 1357 more than atlanta wow that's the gap atlanta has 668 yards from their uh receivers they have 2,025 yards from receivers. That means Higby's not doing much. That means you're not going there worrying about anybody. But the, uh, you stop the receivers, you're going to win uh, this game. You slow the receivers, you get a chance to win this game. But they've got banged up corners, no sign of Christian Fulton. <laughs> this is the biggest test you can get in the league, probably. Uh, Bucks would be right there, too. Of these corners who keep getting it done, but it feels to me, Hut, like that thing's ready to break back there. Well, think about what Cooper Cup's doing, um, and I'm not talking about blocking Mike Vrabel, Vrabel uh, or uh, Vrabel. Sorry, uh, <laughs> say it, say it how you Cooper like. Cooper Cup uh, leads the NFL Choice. with ten touchdowns. 
There are two other receivers with eight. DK Metcalf and Mike Evans each have eight. Cup has 10. But here's the key. It's not just red zone targets and all these things. He's a volume. We hear uh, Derrick Henry's a volume back. Cooper Cup is a volume wide receiver. Um, he has 63 catches, second most in the NFL behind Tyreek Hill. And a lot of Tyreek Hill's catches are on those little flip forward passes that are an extension to their run game. It is a lot different than what they're, how they're using Cooper Cup. But the LA. Titans have survived Metcalf and they have they survived have. Hill. Hill did nothing I, I until know. the game was out of hand. He has 401 yards receiving over his last three games. Yeah. Cooper Cup. But, it, yeah, it makes you wonder if the Titans aren't due for a dud against a receiver, and this is the wrong wrong one and, and the you, wrong quarterback. You guys know how much I harp on explosive plays. He has at least one catch of 22 yards or more in every game this season. There is no off game for Cooper Cup. But it's not just like he it, – it's not like he has three great games right. and then – and he settles down for a couple, and he makes up for it with a monster performance of 15 catches. He's going to get his. Can can the Titans shut down the Rams' run game? Because that's actually one of the, the... In thinking about the keys to the game that I should have included yesterday, this is one of them. Because over the first couple of weeks, they didn't run the football that well. Hey, how reliant um, are they on it? Do they well, care? The, through, through week three, they averaged 83 yards per game rushing. But since week three, they've averaged 116 yards per game yeah, that's rushing. That's really good. So they've really improved in that category. And that allows them to be more balanced on third and four, on third and five. And and really, that that's the key to dis- distributing the football in their pass game. They they have third and short. And, and their their um, their conversion rate on third down is extremely high. And what's a satisfactory run total for the Titans? Oh, that's a great question this week. Let's see. We start to redefine everything starting this week. I mean, it's impossible to answer right now because we have no. I mean, can they get what, I mean, what's, the real, what's what? the real 80, expectation 80, 80, for Adrian Peterson last week? You know, if they get eighty-five yards, ninety-five yards on yeah. the ground, is that a serviceable amount of ground yards to maintain a balance that lets them be the Titans that they're talking about? maintaining their their offense we're going to find out kind of what that number is and how much it slides on a week-to-week basis i would still i i mean i'd set the bar at 100 yards right but like i would bet the under on that going into this week now let me it's all about possession time for me with this and why you want to run the football so many times and why that's their identity but also red zone defense is a part of this titans team identity right now and that's where you can get the Rams. The Rams have reached the red zone 38 times this season. That's the most in the NFL. They've only scored touchdowns on 66% of those red zone trips. And the Titans have been able in this, this turn Buckle about their season. They force field goals. Can you force a couple field goals in this game, especially in the first half, and make it more of a... Uh, you know, a street fight type game. This though comes in combination. We talked about this early. Play tight red zone defense. That's great. Also comes in conjunction with keeping the big plays that get into the yeah. end zone that don't count as red zone trips. Because right. if they're hitting 30-yard, 40-yard, 50-yard plays, makes the red zone moot. Paul, what are you doing in Los Angeles? Uh, hopefully I am getting together with one of my best friends from college who lives in Orange County who will come uh, my direction after his kids' soccer game. That's That's the plan. 
going to watch the movie I recommended on the fly? I am going to watch the movie on the fly. Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. And I surely will screw up my whole sleep cycle by falling asleep after this film, getting to <laughs> Los Angeles really well rested. Uh, but, and I have no sleep cycle anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Especially on the weekend. There's just no, it, it, we just throw it out the window. TV show, there is an in, in, in and out burger near the airport. Uh, so I imagine landing hungry, eating that, then getting to the hotel to not go to bed. While I digest that, it sounds, <laughs> sounds that's, delicious. That's where we'll begin to throw everything off. Fun Should we grab today? a burger on the way to Tuscaloosa? Um, absolutely. Paul, Paul's inspired absolutely. us. We need to we burgers burgers for everyone. Have a big week. Burgers weekend. for everyone. We hope you'll uh, join us tomorrow morning for Outkick, the tailgate presented by Farmfolio. We're headed to T-Town. Paul's headed to L.A. We're back on Monday to recap a great football weekend. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. And don't block the box, but be sure to lock your locks.